And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. Eddie, I mean, sorry, well, it's, uh, hey, welcome. It's Tuesday. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Just begin all over again. Are we good now? So we're good? Ready to go. Okay. That's what happens after a holiday. Anyway, hope you enjoyed your very expensive driving holiday. Uh, travel pretty much sucked all weekend, no matter where you were going. So if you were driving somewhere for the Memorial holiday, well, you were paying out the nose for gas. And I mean, thousands, if you were flying, that was even worse. Thousands of flights all weekend long canceled all across the country due to inclement weather for the most part, but it was also a shortage of pilots and a variety of other issues. So pretty much if you were traveling, Apologize, you probably had didn't have a great weekend, but <clears throat> hey, we're back to work. Last day of May as we get ready to wrap things. Today is the last day of May, right? Yeah. Uh, it's, 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 so <laughs> Thank goodness, right? Wrapping up the month. Um, but you do get a, uh, did have last week a very good little rally here, about a 10% rally from the lows. And this was actually a very strong rally. Got us above the 20-day moving average, now pushing back towards here, towards the 50. Markets are going to open a little bit weak this morning. Dow's down about 127 or so. S&P down 12 points this morning. That, that's not a surprise. You know, very strong rally last week, last day of the month here. Portfolio managers still kind of doing some rebalancing. I wouldn't be surprised to see markets turn around and, and potentially wind up a little bit positive today because, again, this is kind of end-of-the-month rebalancing. We'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, first day of June tomorrow tends to also be a, a day where money managers are putting money to work. So, you know, this we could we could look to see this rally kind of extend itself um, here over the next few days. Again, the 50 day moving average is a very reasonable target here uh, for this rally. And, and as we've talked about, want to use this rally to rebalance into. Look, if you haven't liked this market this year um, and that just means you have too much portfolio risk. That's really all it means. So just use this as an opportunity to rebalance some of that risk in portfolios. Now, here's the big question. I'm already getting these emails. You know, it's like, well, you know, is this rally going to keep going, right? That's, who cares, right? If you haven't liked this rally this year, if you haven't liked this market this year, you've got too much risk in your portfolio. You've got too much tech stocks, whatever it is. Use this rally to take some of that risk off. It doesn't matter if this rally keeps going, right? Just do something to rebalance this risk because just as easily as this market could rally, you know, a bit further here, it could also go down and retest lows again. And then you go, well, I missed my opportunity. Don't waste the opportunity. Take this opportunity, go ahead, rebalance a little bit of risk. Then if it goes some more, rebalance a little bit more. If it goes some more, if, if we go higher from here, that's great. Rebalance more. Now, once we get to the point that we're clearly back into a bullish trending market, you can put that cash back to work, but at least you'll do that with a better conviction that the markets are trending higher rather than just bouncing within a downward trend. And right now we're still well within this downward trend of the market. We haven't changed that dynamic at all at this point because even going back here to the January peaks, it's a very defined downtrend. 
and we're just well within that. And about the 50-day moving average, which is where our kind of our target is, is the top of that downtrend line. So again, there's not a lot of room here for markets if we're going to continue in this downward trending market here for a little while longer. And that's possible. We still have a lot of weak economic data. We still have inflationary problems. We've got, you know, gasoline uh, prices are moving up. Oil prices are, you know, uh, spiking up over the weekend because of the EU's agreement to try to ban more oil imports. So that's pushing oil prices higher. Inflationary price prices are higher. Uh, and, can, and, and remain high at this point. Now, we're going to start to see those come down because we have a massive inventory build right now. We are going to see slower rates of inflationary pressures, but that doesn't mean things are getting cheaper for the consumer. It just means prices aren't moving up as fast anymore. And the problem, of course, is that real wages and incomes and spending by retail, by Americans, right, which is 70% of economic growth, that's going to slow. They're tapping credit cards like crazy just to make ends meet at this point. And that's got a limit to it. And, you know, of course, you know, we've got lots of proposals uh, floating around. One we'll talk about this morning, Elizabeth Warren back on the, on the warpath, no pun intended, um, because <laughs> I'm just going to stop right there. I'm just going to let that joke just go right out the window. Uh, keep you're, myself out of you're trouble. You're already off the reservation. I know, right? We're already. It's not even the end of May yet. So... <laughs> Anyway, lots of stuff here that can potentially weigh on markets and the economy as we get further, you know, into this year. So, uh, so again, use this opportunity. Now, look, markets aren't overbought yet on a, on, on a MACD basis. We've really just got a good solid buy signal here. Certainly suggests that markets could move higher. And that's why I'm saying do a little bit. Don't go and sell everything here. Do a little bit. Take some action. And if the market goes higher, that's better. But... If we take a look at some of our overbought indicators already moving back in overbought territory, it suggests that upside may be a little bit limited here. We could go through a bit of chop before we make another leg higher. Um, relative strength index is, is moving up, but not back into overbought yet. So again, kind of a couple of conflicting indicators here suggesting that yes, the markets are improving, right? Price momentum is improving. We're seeing more 52-week highs than 52-week than lows at the moment. That's great. Breadth is improving. So again, suggest that we could get a little bit more of a push here. But again, it's, it's likely limited. And if you try to time the exact exit, right, trying to get, I'm just going to try to get everything I can out of this, and then I'm going to get out of the market, you're not going to time it right. So do a little bit. And then do a little bit more, and a little bit more, and a little bit more, and then and get yourself in the position that you want to be in. Um, you know, after you use this rally to your advantage. Again, there's nothing wrong with having a little bit more cash in your portfolio. A little bit, you know, a little bit more fixed income wouldn't hurt. Until we get a de definitive turn in the market back from being so bearish back to being more bullish, uh, at least for a longer term trend. Again, we got a lot of work to do there. So again, that could be a while. Uh, a couple of other things that we're going to be talking about this morning. Again, you know, inflation certainly rearing its ugly head, and you know, we're we're starting to get some some real real problems actually uh, coming back through the economy. The, the the consumer under a lot of pressure here. That has a, that has a big impact. Consumption makes up seventy percent of the economy. So again, so goes the consumer. So kind of so goes the economy, and that's going to have a lot of implications, particularly as we head into the midterm elections coming up and we're already starting to see some of the impact of that because it's going to have a lot to do with what happens with policy 
going forward? What, you know, as we get into 2023, 2024, and particularly heading the next presidential election, this is going to have an impact on the outcome of those policies and what those policies might be as it relates to the rest of the economy. The other side of the coin, of course, is that we've also got to talk about financial markets just longer term, particularly from the Fed's uh, standpoint here, because as we get further into economic weakness, which we'll see later on this year, the Fed's going to have a more severe problem about trying to hike rates in order to re reduce their monetary accommodations in order to prepare for the next recession. And they already may be too late. We're going to talk about all that and more this morning on The Real Investment Show. So stick around. That's coming up right after the break. And of course, get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. That's realinvestmentadvice.com. Since your questions, comments, emails, so much there on the website. New articles out this morning as well. realinvestmentadvice.com. We'll be right back. daily investment news you can use delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com some people don't know about bonds i am told this is a bond i've never seen a bond before i never owned a bond in my portfolio it is terrifying get to know bonds in our next free lunch and learn thursday june 2nd with richard rosso danny ratliff and special guest lance roberts register now at realinvestmentadvice.com the thing about bonds with ratliff rosso and roberts realinvestmentadvice.com the real investment show So right now on uh, CNBC, they're interviewing Brian Robbins from Paramount Pictures, of course, over the weekend, Top Gun, the sequel, Maverick, uh, came out, broke box office records. And of course, that's not saying a lot because... <laughs> a low a, bar to clear. <laughs> well, there hasn't been a lot to compete with it. And, and B, you know, there's just, you know, there's a lot of people like me. And by the way... Not only are gas prices expensive, ticket prices are going up as well. My wife and I went and, and saw the movie this weekend. We took our daughter, who has not seen the original Top Gun. Oh. So she was a little bit lost in the first half of the movie <laughs> because they're doing a lot of recap of what happened in the first movie, right? Trying to bring people up to date. But again, you, you really need to, if you haven't seen the original Top Gun, it's on Netflix through today. It leaves today, so you have to go watch it today. Um, but if you go to Netflix, you can watch the original Top Gun. And if you haven't seen it, you kind of need to see it before you go see Maverick because there's a lot of throwback to that. And there's the whole, you know, interrelationship dynamic between Maverick and the son of Goose, who was his former Rio in the, in the, in the original movie. Right. So, it, so, again, you, you kind of need to see the first to really understand it. But it was well done. Lots of action, of course, that's, as you would expect from a Top Gun movie. So it's it's it was fun to watch. Worth the price of admission? I don't know if it's I look, I, I don't know if it's worth anything's worth the price of admission anymore. 
it's getting pretty it's getting pretty steep or worth the price of concessions <laughs> that too right so but you know we got out of the house it was yeah. fun yeah so it was all great good because it was too expensive to drive anywhere <laughs> so. did you walk to the theater exactly <laughs> Yeah, fortunately, it's not too far from yeah, the house, right. so it's, it's not too bad. Anyway, a um, couple of stories out this morning. I thought it was interesting. Again, you know, just coming out of Washington is just a continued amount of idiocy, I guess. It's not really the only way to say it because, you know, we have inflation and we have these problems in the country for a very specific reason, and it was because of the excess monetary accommodation that was injected into the economy during the pandemic, right? And and despite what's going on here, of course, it's been a lot of bad decisions coming out of Washington that, that's affecting us now, right? So we put, uh, we put bans on drilling. Now, we were we had so much oil a couple of years ago. We were exporting our oil for the first time. We were a net exporter for the first time in decades. And so once we had a change in politicians in Washington, we started banning oil drilling and revoking leases and a whole variety of other things and shutting down pipelines, etc. And then, of course, we have the shutdown of you know, the world economy because of the pandemic. And then, of course, we have this war between Russia and Ukraine, and now we're banning oil exports from Russia. And now we have high oil prices. And so now we want to blame the oil companies for, you know, making all this profit, but they're really not. If you take a look at profit margins for a lot of these companies, what people forget is that as prices rise in general, it's not just the price of oil. Right? We have prices rising everywhere, which means that the cost of extraction also goes up. So my cost of getting oil out of the ground is going up as much as the price of oil. Right? So it's the sand, it's the labor, it's, it's everything. So my profit margins don't, don't become, it, you know, the, the costs aren't stagnant. So the profit that I'm making on higher prices isn't just growing exponentially because I'm getting a, a coincident increase in the cost of extracting that oil in the first place, refining it, etc. The, the gasoline. And so the problem is that what we have coming out of Washington is just a continued set of bad policy based on a lack of knowledge, I guess, is the only way to say it, about how things actually work within the economy. And of course, none other than Elizabeth Warren is a great example of this. She was out railing over the weekend in Twitter. Big oil companies are making out like bandits. Our plan would crack down on the price gouging, tax their windfall profits, and send four rebate checks a year to American consumers. Okay. Again, the profit margin myth is, is one problem. But the second thing, again, is that the reason that we have inflation the way that we have inflation now is because of sending money directly to households. You give people too much money, you have too little supply, 
you're going to have inflation. That's just the way it works. Now, right now, we have a, a massive surge in inventories because demand and as demand starts to, to decline here, as we get slower economic growth, you're going to start seeing massive discounts on inventories. So prices are about to come down and come down fairly sharply uh, across the board. We're going to see that happening sooner rather than later. But the problem is, is that, you know, with Elizabeth Warren, it's just misguided economics. And, uh, and unfortunately, this is what we have going on entirely in Washington is misguided economics. And, and look, it, it's it's all about getting, look, this is all about getting votes and getting reelected. And what politicians think is that sending checks to household is what garners favor politically. So if I want to get reelected, I send you a check and you'll vote for me. That's That's the idea that's coming out of Washington. But the problem is, is that Americans, while they don't understand why we have inflation, they're dealing with it. And they're not happy. If you take a look at the president's current poll ratings, that tells you a lot of what you need to know that, look, d d despite of what's going on, he's getting the blame for inflation and the impact to American households. And that's not surprising. That's just the way it works, right? We always kind of blame whatever president is in office for whatever our economic ills are. But what generally happens is it was the previous predecessor in a lot of cases that started the problem. And then the guy that's in office just kind of inherits the problem, unfortunately, at the end of the day. And, and that's happened kind of repeatedly throughout history. And look, no, no president is immune from making bad decisions. We've seen every president on the planet make, you know, throughout history, make repetitively bad decisions, both economically, fundamentally, et cetera, because they're human. This happens. But the one thing that we could fix is stop making economically bad decisions on things that we know economically. <laughs> you know, And what I'm saying by this is, you know, we know what the laws of supply and demand are. That's basic proven economics. We know that if we have too much supply and too little demand, you're going to get higher prices. So before we start going out and sending checks to households, going, okay, great, we're going to send checks to households. That's awesome. You know, what's going to be the impact? Of that? And, and this is the problem that we have politically and economically is that we do these things without thinking about the unintended consequences. And sometimes these unintended consequences are very apparent. We, we, can, we can see them coming a mile away, but we do them anyway for political gain, whatever it is. And, and this is just one of the things that we kind of do over and over and over again. And then we all step back and go, well, I don't understand why we have inflation. I can tell you why we have inflation. We wrote about why we would have inflation back in 2020. We wrote in 2021 about why we would have an economic, you know, retraction as that liquidity left the system. And so here we are. The, these, this is not, as they say, rocket science, right? It's just a, a little bit of thinking ahead about how the economic outcomes are going to be based on certain actions. And sometimes those actions are much easier to predict than others. You know, for instance, when Trump was in office, he was, you know, fighting a trade war with China. 
trade wars generally don't have good economic outcomes. But they're harder to predict because there's a lot of interaction that, that occurs in the middle of a trade war with how countries respond in terms of, you know, trying to get around sanctions and tariffs and those type of things. So the outcome is much harder to predict than not. But when you send checks to households and shut down the economy, that that outcome is pretty easy to predict. There's there's a kind of a very basic equation that fits that. So here we are dealing with it. And instead of learning our lesson, we have politicians now promoting this idea of, hey, let's do more of what got us into this problem to start with. And maybe the outcome will be different this time. But look, they know, we know, everybody knows that's not the case. And again, you can and, and again, you can certainly go around and attack oil companies. And let's think about that for a second. So let's go after let's go after those evil oil companies, right? Let's tax their windfall profits. Let's put a cap on prices. Let's, you know, do more things to them to help them reduce the incentive to drill. What do you think happens to oil prices? Put a cap on let's let's do price controls, right? Let's put a cap on oil prices. What do you think happens to drilling costs? They go up. But I can't charge more to cover my drilling costs. It becomes unprofitable. So why would I drill? Which makes oil prices go up higher. Okay, so now you've already capped oil prices. You've already taxed the windfall profits. Oil prices are continuing to rise because you have a, a complete lack of, of supply now to meet demand. As I said in speed, what are you going to do now, hotshot? Be right back after the break. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com some people don't know about bonds i am told this is a bond i've never seen a bond before i never owned a bond in my portfolio it is terrifying get to know bonds in our next free lunch and learn thursday june 2nd with richard rosso danny ratliff and special guest lance roberts register now at realinvestmentadvice.com the thing about bonds with ratliff rosso and roberts realinvestmentadvice.com you're listening to the real investment show So, a couple of things this morning. Uh, markets, again, uh, NASDAQ futures are down about 7. They've been kind of recovering this morning here a little bit. And that's not surprising. It's the last day of the month. And, again, we have a lot of 
you know, mutual fund managers, hedge funds, et cetera, you know, offsides or, you know, over the last couple of months, just kind of this relentless selling has, has gotten equity exposures and a lot of portfolios underweight, cash overweight, bonds underweight because of the selling there as well. So again, not surprising as we kind of go into the end of the month, first day of the new month. And it's also remember tomorrow is the first day of the last quarter. Uh, sorry, it's the first day of the, the, the last month of the quarter. I'll spit that out here in a second. Um, so again, a lot of these a lot of these hedge funds, mutual funds, et cetera, that need to, you know, be in balance by the end of the quarter, we'll see a lot of that that buying occur. So not surprising we're seeing a bit of a rally. And again, this morning, futures are a little bit lower, but they have been improving all morning. So, you know, if, if we can kind of keep that up, that'll be handy. There's still some worries here. And again, you know, as we talk about the markets, you know, there's two things really kind of overhanging the market more than anything else. One is that there's a lot of what we call trapped longs in the markets. And this is people that have been trapped in the market, right? And just they've kind of been hoping for a rally to get out and it just hasn't hasn't come and they're just wanting to get out. And so at some point here on this rally, you're going to get hit with a lot of the selling as as those people start trying to get out of the markets. The other side of this is also the Federal Reserve. And we've got quite a few speakers this week. We had some yesterday. We've got some more coming up this week talking about potential Fed policy. One of the things that really kind of sparked the rally last week is that already there was some hints that potentially we might see the Fed pause on their rate hikes. Those were those trial balloons that we talk about from time to time that the Fed launches out there. And I'd said before, I said, look, I don't think that the Fed can make it more than one and a half or two percent on the Fed funds rate before they run into trouble. Well, we're at 0.75 and they're already launching trial balloons about potentially pausing Fed rate hikes. I think they can go some more. I think we'll see a, another rate hike of at least 50 basis points here at the next meeting in June. But then we can see them drop to quarter basis point hikes after that, which is going to give the, the markets more confidence that the Fed is, is pulling back. Now, if they don't, if they remain aggressive, that's, that's going to be something that potentially weighs on the markets. The markets are trying to tell the Fed, hey, we can't really take a lot of rate hikes here. So that's the that's what the message that the market's sending. Expectations for rate hikes are already starting to decline. Uh, expectations for inflation are on the decline. And that's going to limit what the Fed can do. We'll see. We'll see what they do. The Fed's behind the curve. They know they're behind the curve. They've got to raise rates because... In a recession, so first of all, you know it, it's there's no guarantee that we're going to be in a recession right now. The economic data and a lot of other things suggest that we could be in a recession by the end of this year, first of next year. But there's no guarantee of that. Things can change. But if we do get into a recession, the Fed, really the Fed's only good tool for combating a recession is lowering interest rates. And right now they're at 0.75 on their interest rates. So three quarters of a point going back to zero 
that's not hugely helpful. They've got to get up enough that they've got a little bit of, of air beneath the wings, so to speak, that they've got some lift in the economy that they can then drop rates with. And again, I don't know if they're going to get there. With the rate at which things are deteriorating economically right now, it suggests they won't. We'll see. But this right now, and again, we, we, I, I was on Fox Business on Friday talking about this, and I think that this will be kind of the story of this week, is that this looks and smells like a bear market rally. And that means that it will fail, and we will probably retest lows at least. Now, there's, there's, there's no guarantee of that either. Again, you know, everything that we talk about here on the show is a best guess, right? It's a guesstimate. Because things can change. A lot of things can happen. I mean, if the Fed came out tomorrow and said, you know what, we're done. We're going to drop rates back to zero and we're going to, you know, uh, start, uh, we're not going to do QT, right? And this is something we've got coming up in June that we haven't even been talking about lately, which is quantitative tightening. The Fed will start to actively reduce their balance sheet by $60 this month coming up. That's more liquidity out of the system. So, again, we take a look at this rally. There's some things coming up right now that suggest that this is probably going to be a bear market rally, and you may want to use this to remove some exposure from your portfolios. Until we know better. Right? This is the thing that, you know, this is the problem I have with buy and hold investing and, you know, a lot of other strategies. We don't know what the market's going to do. You know, if, if you woke up this morning and we're watching the news and the weatherman comes up and says, there is a 90% chance of rain today. Let's make it better. There's a 70% chance of rain today. Now, when they say there's a 70% chance of rain, that means there's a 70% chance of precipitation. <laughs> Easy for you to say this morning. Somewhere within the viewing area, right? That's so wherever their area covers, they're talking about there's a chance that it could rain. There's a 70% chance it could rain somewhere in that area. It doesn't mean it's going to rain on your house. Could be. And this is why we always say, well, it didn't rain at my house today. So obviously the weatherman doesn't know what he's talking about, but it rained all over somewhere else, right? So this is the thing we have to understand about predictions. But if the weatherman says, hey, I should say meteorologist because we need to be gender, gender neutral. Yeah, you better watch it. I know. We'll watch that. So if the meteorologist says there's a 70% chance of rain, there's kind of that inkling that maybe I should throw an umbrella in the car, right? Now, just because I put an umbrella in the car doesn't mean absolutely it's going to rain. But just in case, you know, I've got an umbrella. It's the same thing with your portfolio. The problem with a lot of these strategies are like, hey, don't worry about the fact that it may rain. Just, you know, go anyway. And all we're saying is, is look, use this rally as an opportunity to, to you know, clean some things up. I mean, you know, the decline this year has exposed all those weaknesses in your portfolio. The average portfolio is down 30% this year. Market's only down about 12 so retail investors have done a lot worse on average than the markets because they took on too much risk. So this is your opportunity to rebalance some of that risk, and I would suggest using it. Now, 
Could markets go immediately back to all-time highs and just keep going and never turn back again? Maybe. It's possible. It's not likely with the Fed committed to tightening their balance sheet, committed right now to continuing to raise rates. We have economic data slowing. We have earnings slowing. So the odds of us getting back into a ripping bull market is not likely. Doesn't mean it's impossible. And if it and if if the impossible becomes possible or the improbable becomes probable, well, you've got some cash, you put it back to work. Yeah, you miss a little bit of the bottom. It's okay. It's better to be safe than sorry when investing. And 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 so and navigating markets are, are complicated. But you can do it. It's just a function of, of paying attention. And look, and the, and the biggest driver right now is the Fed. Over the next month, we're going to have the Fed talk about hiking rates again, tightening their balance sheet, actually doing it, right? They've only talked about it. So they look, as far as quantitative tightening, they've only started talking about tightening their balance sheet. They haven't actually done anything yet. That's coming. So that reduction of liquidity is going to impact the markets. How? I'm not for sure. Nobody is. But we do know that quantitative easing pushed asset prices higher. And previously, when the Fed was doing quantitative tightening, as we saw back in 2018, markets didn't respond well. Now, we have very limited moments of history about quantitative tightening because it hasn't happened that much. <laughs> Since we started quantitative easing back in 2009, there have only been about three periods where the balance sheet was technically being reduced, and that was after QE1 ended, QE2 ended, and then when we had quantitative tightening following QE3. That was in 2018. In all those cases, the market's corrected. Could this time be different? Sure. Is it worth betting your ranch on? Not so sure. Be right back after the break. news you can use delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com some people don't know about bonds i am told this is a bond i've never seen a bond before i never 
owned a bond in my portfolio. It is terrifying. Get to know bonds in our next free Lunch and Learn. Thursday, June 2nd with Richard Rosso, Danny Ratliff, and special guest Lance Roberts. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. The thing about bonds with Ratliff, Rosso, and Roberts. realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. So Iran has now broken the first rule of a secret underground base, which is not to talk about it by talking about it. (laughs) Cats out of the bag. Over the weekend, they had a TV reporter in to shoot a whole segment on their secret underground drone base, which is apparently, as the general says, he says, a major general... Masavi says that no doubt the drones of the Islamic Republic of Iran's armed forces are the region's most powerful and our ability to upgrade them is unstoppable. And of course, this is, you know, showing the the whole uh, clip shows the, you know, interior of this secret underground base that's buried hundreds of meters below the Zargos Mountains, which is this thousand mile long range in uh, western Iran. So, again, the first rule of Fight Club is you don't talk about Fight Club. (laughs) Kind of the first thing you do about your secret underground drone base you don't want anybody to know about is not talk about it. Won't be surprised that in a few weeks that we see a headline on CNN somewhere is like secret underground drone base destroyed in suspicious explosion. <laughs> Bunker busters. Exactly. <laughs> Which is kind of interesting. I'm not going to spoil the movie, but there's kind of a hint of that in. Oh. Uh, Top Gun Maverick. Yeah. Secret underground bases. Things that go on and places you should know about. Just saying. Yeah, just saying. So, you know, truth stranger than fiction, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see. Anyway, uh, a couple other things that out this morning. I th- this was interesting. I thought DeLorean had kind of gone the way of the, you know, di- dinosaur a while back. You know, if, if you saw the movie, again, only people that, you know, my and Brent's age probably remember this, but there used to be the series of movies out called Back to the Future. And in this in this series of movies, they had a car that could time travel. And it was a DeLorean, which was this car made by a guy named DeLorean. And it was all stainless steel, and it was kind of ahead of its time in terms of, of car. And, and the DeLorean DMC-12 was widely popular because of the movie Back to the Future. No, if you bought the car, it didn't time travel, but it did have gold wing doors and stainless steel body and, and all kinds of stuff. So it was it was a pretty innovative car at the time. And, and of course, the you know, the interesting story behind this, the history of of DeLorean, of John DeLorean, and he was the creator of the DMC 12, was interesting in 1982. This was one year after the DMC 12 was released, the FBI set up a sting where John DeLorean agreed to bankroll a fake cocaine smuggling operation in hopes of providing cash flow to his company. You know, it wasn't he wasn't bankrolling the the fake deal. The, 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 the FBI set up a fake smuggling operation and he agreed to bankroll it. Right. And so this didn't work out well for John DeLorean. Or his company, which went bankrupt shortly thereafter, he was arrested. Um, he was sentenced to prison. 
So the car was only made between 1981 and 1982. Now, the, the ending of this story is something a lot of people don't know, is that Stephen Wynn, yes, the owner of Wynn Resorts, actually bought the rights to the company. According to the CEO of, of DeLorean Motor Company, they have now come out with a new DeLorean. The Alpha 5 is for people who like to drive. The quote from the company is, we have been given the opportunity to reimagine a brand that has meant so much to so many people all over the world. DeLorean has touched so many lives and set the stage for so many memories. We're now witnessing a new chapter in this amazing story. Now, remember, this car was only produced for two years. And they made a movie about it. If the movie had never been made about this car, we wouldn't be talking about any of this, right? The only reason this car was so famous is because of this movie or series of movies with Michael J. Fox. Alpha 5 is now going to premiere at the Pebble Beach Concourse on August the 18th, and it's an all-electric DeLorean. And again, a, a bit of a throwback to the original DeLorean. The car has a lot of the same features, gold wing doors, kind of similar body shape, etc. But now, of course, all upgraded, modified, etc. and all electric. So this will be the rebirth of the DeLorean, which again, if you're not of the baby boomer, you know, ilk, probably... You're not that familiar with with the DeLorean anyway, but it probably doesn't mean that much to you. But I think it's kind of interesting just that it is actually finally finally making a comeback. So we'll see. I I, I didn't even know they were still building cars. They're not. I mean, this is the first car to be built since 1982. But <laughs> I didn't even know the company was, I didn't even know the company was still around in any form. But apparently, it's been hanging out here this whole time, and they've been secretly working on this all electric car. So what was that guy's name that, that bought up all the spare parts? I don't know who bought the spare parts. Wynn, was that his Stephen name? Wynn. Stephen Wynn, yeah. Yeah. The he, he casino. Bought all, all, all the spare parts that they had not put together in a car, he bought all those and began assembling them again. There you go. Yeah. See? Well, when you own a bunch of casinos, you have that kind of cash. There you have it, because so, the house always wins. Well, and he has a lot of cash. Yeah. So, <laughs> but no, I had no idea. But yeah, I had no idea he had bought the company and was mm -hmm. still doing that. So anyway, interesting story. All electric. Coming back out. And again, now the problem is going to be getting batteries for your all-electric car. But that's a whole other story coming down the road. And flux capacitors. And flux capacitors. But again, you know, he did modify that to use waste. Yes. So, you know, it's, you know, oh, use banana peels, old sandwiches, you know, whatever you had laying around, convert that into energy. Greenies are going to love that. I, well, look, I mean, yeah. the DeLorean was way ahead. I mean, the, the whole movie Back to the Future, way ahead of its time. Yeah. Right? It was all about climate change, clean energy. All that. And time travel. And no, if you buy DeLorean, it does not go back in time. <laughs> Even though I know you wish it could. We all wish we could go back in time and just start all over at this point. So <laughs> can we just go back to 2019 and just kind of miss the whole shutdown? I think we'd be okay. Anyway, a couple other things here as we get ready to wrap up this morning. Um, Again, you know, one of the things that we're talking uh, that's getting a little bit more traction as we get ready to go to midterms, of course, student loan relief. And Biden's talking about potentially using an executive order to, you know, 
give relief of $10,000 for student loans. And of course, a lot of people are upset. It's like $10,000, that's a drop in the bucket for what I owe. But again, the problem with student loan relief in general is that it's a heavily flawed concept. And again, look, I know that we, you know, we all want to try to help people and that's all fine and dandy, but there's so many problems with student loan relief. The first and foremost is, is that that's taxpayer money. So basically taxpayers are now just going to be left on the hook for making these student loans to begin with. And so we say, okay, so, so what? We'll, we'll just uh, kind of screw the taxpayers. That's completely okay. But as we've talked about before, what are you going to do next? Right? What, what about the next group of people coming up that are getting student loans? Are they going to get relief too? Uh, what about the people that paid their loans? Do they get a rebate? You know, you can do student loan relief. If you want to wipe out the debt of student loans, that's fine. But the government has to get out of the student loan business at the same time. It's like, look, the government is no longer going to be making student loans. We're going to forgive this much, and we're returning student loans back to the private sector. If they want to do it, great. If they don't want to do it, that's fine. That's up to them. But that's what's got to be done. The, the, the government can't forgive one group of people their student loans and they keep doing the program. Because everybody that does the program after this will want a relief of their student loans. And taxpayers have no control over making those student loans, right? We're giving money to the government, and they're supposed to be spending our money in a wise and intelligent manner for the benefit of the country. Of course, that hasn't happened in a long time. But we don't, we as individuals don't have any control as taxpayers. We don't have really any control over what the government does with our money. So even though we may be opposed to giving out student loans, can't stop it. So the problem becomes is that if you're going to forgive student loans, as we've talked about before, that's fine, right? You can certainly do that. Nobody's stopping you except the electorate. But you can't keep doing student loans. And this is the, this is the part that nobody, again, talk about unintended consequences, things that we do that sound good on the surface that have unintended consequences down the road. This is one of those decisions. If you want to forgive student loans, that's fine and dandy. But what about the next group and the group after that and the group after that? So you've got to get out of this. You, you have to shut down the student loan program if you're going to forgive student debt. And again, as a taxpayer, I would be upset with that. I would be upset with the fact that I paid back my student loans as I was supposed to, since I was the one. And see, this is the problem we forget is that, you know, while student loans are a problem, not going to deny that. They shouldn't have been a problem, but the government took them over and said, hey, let's give everybody a student loan that wants one with no parameters. Now they're a problem and we want to forgive this stuff. That's fine. But what about the responsibility of the loan in the first place? The people that are clamoring for the student loan relief are the ones that took out the loans. They signed the paperwork. Where's their responsibility in the process?
Contract law is a very important thing. It's a very important concept in our country. It is what makes capitalism actually work. All right, wraps up the show for the day. Be back tomorrow. We'll see what the market does. Uh, Bitcoin is up this morning. Cryptocurrency is doing better. We'll see if the market follows suit after the open this morning as we wrap up the last day of May. We'll be back tomorrow to talk about what happens in the last quarter, last month of the quarter tomorrow. See you then. It's a rich man's world. It's a rich man's world.